Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 81st episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my friend, Adam Goffin. Uh, Adam, how are you doing today? Uh, footy, Zach. We're making transfers. Footy. Newcastle is uh, making some moves. One, one through the door and one it looks like on the train right now. Uh, the the latter that I'm obviously referencing, Chris Wood, the big name of the day uh, for Newcastle United. Did you see the photo of him actually just on a train, not wearing a mask, putting his bags above above his seat? It was it was kind of bizarre to look at. Wait, was that a that's a real thing? Sorry, I thought you were joking. I thought you were literally were joking about him being on a train. I'm like, no, how would he ever no, do I'm that? Pretty, I'm pretty I'm I'm pretty pretty positive that he just got on a train and took it because Burnley is what like two and a half hours from Newcastle maybe uh not even that it's pretty close really yeah yeah I mean yeah yeah it seems like a logical oh, wow. way for him to get there I mean get in a car you're Chris Wood that is true but again cars have lower ceilings than trains do <laughs> pay for a driver come on dude <laughs> you can afford yeah. this shit. that's like it's like uh, there was a there was a Mets minor league player a couple of years ago who was playing for our uh, he was playing for a minor league affiliate in Pennsylvania and he got a call saying that the Mets needed him for a game in like three hours because of a bunch of injuries and so he just called an Uber and took it from like the middle of Pennsylvania to New York City and then got out of the car and ran into the stadium and started in the game that night. Uh, so Chris Wood, you're, you're right. He, he certainly had, he certainly had options and he kind of turned them all away for what seems like a, a train with credit him, a roof that a ceiling that was high enough for, for his what six foot five stature. Evidently he's a man of the people, Zach. He wants to be, you know, mm-hmm. with the, with the beloved tune fans as he arrives to St. James's park to sign on the dotted line. Yeah, nothing is finalized yet, but what, what we're reading is Chris Wood coming to Newcastle from Burnley for a sum of about twenty million pounds. Um, hopefully, ho- I don't know. I don't know what the rules kind of how the rules work with um, if he would be available for Watford on uh, the matches on Sunday, right? Um, so I don't match, know. Matches Saturday, and he needs oh, to be Saturday. signed by he needs to be signed by Friday lunchtime in order to be eligible. So. Oh, okay. So it's only one day in advance. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh, all right. That seems extremely doable. Uh, well, yeah. So that is like, kind of a lot of what we'll be talking about later. That's n- not even a preview. That's a good chunk of it right there. Uh, exciting potential signing for Newcastle. We'll, we'll kind of go into the the impact that Chris Wood will have on a Newcastle side, assuming that the deal gets done, as well as the impact that Burnley will face for for losing him uh, this second half of the year, uh, Adam. Before we before we jump into our talking points for the the first half of the, the podcast, anything anything that you want to you want to mention about anything in your life? This isn't a leading uh, question. And I'm curious. No, just I'm um, gonna wish my daughter a happy seventh birthday this week. She turns seven on Thursday. Um, kind of crazy to think that um, you know seven years ago we were getting ready to go into labor here and. Um, Pretty crazy to to think now she here she is an adopted Geordie uh, as if you will so um, she doesn't really know a lot about football I still need to get her really truly into it but she's seen plenty of games and you've obviously 
been with her as she's watched several of the games at. She knows the chance. She's a bigger fan than probably the majority of people in the world. Uh, so yeah, she's definitely, she is definitely, uh, you know, she, she has her place uh, in, in the stadium when she finally makes her pilgrimage. When, when Emma and I make our first collective pilgrimage to St. James's Park, we'll be sitting right next to each other. There you go. I like it. Yeah. She, she definitely be down for that. I think a trip to trip to the Northeast of England. Let's do it one day. That would be, that'd be a good time. Uh, cool. Well, one thing I want to shout out is congratulations to, uh, SB nation coming home, Newcastle, uh, fellow, um, podcaster, Elijah Newsom who got married just, was it yesterday or two days ago? Um, two days ago. Yeah. Two days ago. So congrats, Elijah. That's very, very awesome. I have actually watched a game with Elijah and his his, his new wife Haley, and they are both very lovely people. So, um, yes, indeed. Echoing the sentiments there, congratulations, Elijah. Welcome to the the married club. If you need any advice, hit me up. Don't don't reach out to Zach. He still hasn't uh, made an honest woman of his girl yet. That's really weird way of putting it. But anyway, let's get into the <laughs> podcast. Um, so before we jump in here, if you do have any questions or topics that you want us to go over in a future podcast, feel free to reach out to us. I can be reached at ZPensack on Twitter. Uh, Adam can be reached at Adam Goffin on Facebook because he lives in 2011. So yeah, hit either of us up and we will uh, get your talking point on the pod. He's zinging me back right now, listeners, after the after the jab. I just took it in. I like it. I like I'm, happy, it. I'm happy about that one. I'm settled down now. I think we're the score is <laughs> even. So. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. So, Adam, EPL trivia, what do you have for us today? All right, it's a really simple one, Zach. And you may have read this stat recently. So if you have, I'd ask you to hold until the end of the pod. But if you have not, I think it'll be an interesting question for you. Okay. Name the, name the only Premier League team to have amassed 100 red cards since the Premier League began in 1992. 100 red cards in 1992. I have not heard this fact before, so I will be will be kind of shooting from the hip. Okay. All right. I have no like there's no there's no certain team that pops up uh, initially for me. Um, yeah, I, I'm interested to to kind of dig into this one. Yeah. All right. There you go. More, more to come later on, a clue midway through, and uh, I think you will need both of them. Very good. Very good. I'm looking forward to it. So we are, what is it now, January 11th, uh, when we're recording this podcast, 11 days into the January transfer window, over uh, a third of the way done with this abbreviated um, window that falls in the middle of the season. Uh, not a ton of signings in the Premier League so far, Adam. Uh, so few that we can actually go ahead and detail um, the pretty much the main, if not all of the notable signings uh, that have taken place. And I know that you did want to, to kind of run through those, that the players that have been making moves and uh, what we can expect out of them on their respective clubs. So uh, do you want to go team by team here? Yeah, let's do it. Let's start off with Rafa Benitez led still. Um, Everton Football Club. So Everton with two incoming signings to the tune of 34 million collectively for these two signings. I thought very interesting. First off, before we get into any of those players, interesting that Rafa Benitez, A, is still there, given that Everton sit in 15th place in the league um, currently. And B, 
the fact that not only are they not firing him, they're actually backing him pretty heavily in the transfer market because they didn't do that in the summer, if you remember well. Um, a lot of like kind of like free signings that they they had come in, or at least a little bit cheaper signings that were coming in. I I do think looking at these players though that they've brought in, um, we've got Vitali Mikolenko, um, who's a left back from Dynamo Kiev, 22 year old Ukrainian international, already has 21 caps coming in for 18 million, and then Nathan Patterson, a right back from Rangers, coming in for 16 million. 20-year-old Scottish international, someone I'm sure Gus could tell us all about. Happy birthday this week to Gus as well. And then John Joe Kenny has been starting at right back for Everton. Um, so interesting. I think about these two players, right? The Mikolenko deal is obviously preemptive in that this is a replacement for Luca Dina, right? Who's had a very well-renowned falling out with Rafa Benitez. And then we have Nathan Patterson, who's coming in more as, I think, somebody who's one for the future. Um, John Joe mm -hmm. Kenny's been playing, like I mentioned. So I thought these, this was interesting areas of the field for Benitez to strengthen first, um, the wingback positions. What was your immediate take when you read these two signings? They are, they are interesting ones, right? Because uh, Everton has had an issue with goals scored this season. Um, largely, you could attribute that to key players being out, uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Andre Gomez, some kind of offensive weapons, as well as losing James Rodriguez uh, in the summer. Uh, it, it, I mean, it makes sense, right? Because not only is Luca Digne on his way out, but also Seamus Coleman, you know, a club hero, is, is coming to the end of his career. I know that a lot of people have been criticizing the fact that uh, at times it's looked like Seamus Coleman has played wing at a wing back position and just gotten absolutely burned uh, on on the the sideline by opposing midfielders. Coleman not as fleet of foot as he once was, so it does in theory make sense, especially with where the money has been invested in this club, largely being in midfield and up top and on the wing. Uh, but as you mentioned, like how much is this going to really move the needle for Everton, uh, especially Patterson, 16 mil is a lot of money to play, pay for somebody who you're not planning on, on giving significant playing time to immediately. So I, I think that he probably will uh, get some time. However, um, a bigger question that I have, Adam, is do you think that it's any concern that both of these players are coming from two leagues that are probably looked at as, you know, on the lower kind of like second, third tier in terms of competitiveness of European leagues. Like they, the, you know, a lot of people talk about players coming in and having to adjust to the Premier League. Do you think that might be an issue with uh, Patterson coming from the Scottish League and uh, Mikolenko coming from the Ukrainian League, two leagues that aren't necessarily touted as, you know, top leagues in Europe? I think it's a reasonable concern. I think the fact that these guys are already full internationals for their countries at 22 and 20 respectively uh, means that, you know, they, they, they do have a lot of experience outside of their domestic leagues. Patterson in particular, I was reading up about him as he's not somebody that I knew uh, too much about. Do you remember James Tavernier who played for Newcastle back in the day? Yeah, cap captain of Rangers, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's who's keeping Patterson out of the team right now. So he's not even a starter for Ring, let alone is he in a league um, that is seen as a little bit inferior and playing week in, week out. He can't even get a game in the first team right now. So it would be interesting to see that and then come into the Premier League for, I mean, 
hypothetically a stronger team in um, Everton and, and immediately go into the starting lineup there. So I, I don't know that they signed him to do that. They certainly did with Mikolenko. Um, I think he's coming mm-hmm. in to replace Dinia as we, as we talked about. Um, and I think they need that help because to your point, Seamus Coleman is I was like 45 years old at this point, right? He's not going to be playing mm-hmm. um, a lot more football in his career. So um, I think, I guess in, in a long winded way of answering your question, I have some concerns about the quality of the leagues they're coming from, but the fact that they are internationals, I think will will stand them in good stead for, for Everton in the future. Yeah, and, and honestly, I, I think Everton is probably essentially given up on this season. I forget, like there, there's nothing that's gonna come terribly positive for them. Uh, and it seems as though both of these signings, as you mentioned, signings for the future, um, I would assume that Everton don't despite you know their their terrible form throughout the whole season they they probably don't think that they'll actually get dragged into a relegations fight so in this sense they are spending their money on on next year and on the rebuilding project that'll probably take place most likely under a new manager and, and if not under a manager who um is is famous for building compact and disciplined defenses uh, so getting two defenders in there kind of again fits that bill with Rafa Benitez. Yeah, I think the best chance that Everton have really this season um, from a success standpoint is probably the FA Cup. It's early days yet. They're in the fourth round, which is one round further than Newcastle made it this season. Um, but mm-hmm. they've got a home home draw against Brentford. I think, you know, that's probably their best chance of not just silverware, but I think just success and advancement this season. A good cup run if they can get to the quarters or the semis. I think that would be pretty good for Benitez in his first season in charge. So, um doesn't look like they're going to be firing him anytime soon, though. That's a big takeaway from from the heavy backing you're seeing here. Back the Spaniard and and see what happens. It's a it's a uh, strategy a lot of teams have taken throughout the years to to somewhat varied results depending on the Spaniard. So we'll see how it goes. Yep, absolutely. On to our second team with an incoming transfer here, um, Aston Villa. A huge transfer for them, you know. Um, I'll reserve my my opinion on this until I kind of get yours first. Philip Coutinho from Barcelona, um, a player that used to be um, a colleague of Steven Gerrard, played in the same team as him. Obviously, he was very renowned as a quality player before making his big money move to Barcelona. I'm confident that the Gerrard connection uh, made, is made what really ultimately made this one happen for Aston Villa. My question to you, though, Zach, is are we really getting the same Philip Coutinho that made his exit from Liverpool several years ago? Or do you think that we have an inferior Philip Coutinho at this point in his career? Oh, I, I think that's that's a very easy question to answer. It's undoubtedly a, a inferior Philip Coutinho. I mean, when he left... When he left Liverpool to go to Barcelona, he was the most expensive player in the world going to Barcelona for, what was it, 120 million pounds at that point in time. Um, money, money, I will say, well reinvested by Liverpool, getting Allison and uh, Van Dyke with those funds. So that's off to them there. But I, I do think that, um, yeah, it's undoubtable that Coutinho is not where he was, what was that, three, four years ago when when going to, to Barcelona, I think the question is, what can you get out of him? He's had significant injury problems and just runs of form that have been fairly dismal at Barcelona. And so it seems to me that 
you know, Aston Villa is kind of taking a flyer on him in a way. I would assume that the wages are being split probably rel- relatively fairly between the two clubs as Barcelona is trying to get, you know, any sort of wage bill off their ledger. So I think it's a benefit for both teams, especially if Coutinho can put up a, a good second half of the season and then raise his transfer value for Barcelona to hopefully recoup some of that 120 mil. And then for Villa, uh, they, you know, they have been exciting at times this year. They went on that, what was it, five-game unbeaten run when Stevie G first took over. But just like Everton, they they are sinking towards the bottom of the table, only two wins in their last five, um, a, a goal scored of only 25, and a, uh, a point total of 22, which is uh, 11 points above the drop zone. Fairly comfortable, but still, you don't want to see yourself in, in 14th halfway through the season, especially with the investment that they had. So uh, I think it's not a huge, there's not a huge risk with Coutinho. And um, it would be interesting to see if they would be able to, uh, you know, settle with whatever price tag is put on him at the end of the season, if they are interested in picking him on permanently. Yeah, I, I would say that I'm excited to see Coutinho back in the Premier League. And I think you've made some really good points there. I'd ask you this, Zach, where do you think he fits into this current Aston Villa team? Um, who do you see him replacing and where do you think he could be effective for them? Yeah, it, it's, I think that's a, that's a really, really good question because up it seems as though up top is the area of the pitch that they have the most depth. Uh, he is not a striker, so you're, you're not going to see Watkins or Ings dropped. Uh, he, in theory, could play in the 10, but that's kind of where John McGinn makes his living and and he is probably the best player on that team week in and week out, if not most popular without a doubt. So you don't see him kind of like barging in and, and moving McGinn around. Uh, so what what I think will happen is that he will be probably deployed on the left side of attacking midfield with uh, Emi Buendia on the opposite flank, um, especially with the injuries and the kind of like you know, difficulty that Leon Bailey, uh, summer signing his head, breaking into that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see Coutinho on the wing, just opposite side of Buendia. Um, but yeah, just like you, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited to see him back in the Premier League. He was uh, quite a thrilling player to watch, especially, I, I don't know if you still remember that goal he scored in his last game against Newcastle, uh, but an absolute cracker and a, a player who, who could light up a pitch when he was on his day. Yeah, absolutely. He's going to be going to be fun to watch, especially if he can recapture some of that form. I'm glad you mentioned Buendia. That was somebody I I kind of spared a thought for as I thought about this incoming transfer. He's somebody that hasn't been regularly starting and is starting to get a little bit more momentum in terms of like starting um, and being in a starting role, I should say, for Aston Villa. And then I started thinking about the Buendia deal um, over the summer, uh, summer to have him come in, to have Bailey come in and to have Ings come in as you had going the opposite way to Manchester City, Jack Grealish. And how disappointing all four of those players have been this season. You could make a case that um, every single one of them has underperformed in the Premier League this season. And it just, looping back to the Coutinho link, it makes me a little bit concerned that the added competition for place is going to push Buendia further down that list of important players for Villa and potentially see him leave the club this summer. Yeah, you think so? You think they would you think he would demand out or do you think they would try to sell him? I think he, he's Dean Smith's player, right? Um he was he was Daniel yeah, Farkas' player before that. 
And I, I just don't know if, if truly he is the guy that, um, that Steve Jarrett feels he can hang his hat on. So um, mm-hmm. we'll see come the summer, but an early shout I'm making right now is that Buendia leaves Villa in the off season. That's a really interesting prediction. Yeah. I didn't think about that, but you know, all, all the, all the more likely with, as you said, new players coming in and a manager with Stevie G that, you know, we, we still haven't seen what type of football Stevie G you know, likes to implement. He was only at Rangers, remember, for two seasons before coming uh, to the Premier League. So you, you really haven't seen the kind of brand of football uh, for, for Steven Gerrard. And the summer will be very indicative in, in determining what that brand of football might be. And as you said, if, if it's if Wendy is not a guy who can do a role for him, then that's that's kind of the way it works. It is what it is. Yep, I totally agree. All right, on to our third and final team with incoming transfers. Uh, I say transfers in the plural because we hope that the second one will be over the line here shortly, as we mentioned at the beginning of the pod. Our own Newcastle United. So first off, Kieran Trippier in from Atletico Madrid for 12 million British pounds. Interesting thing about this deal, no relegation release clause. And we have a player who is essentially leaving a Champions League club to come play for an English team in a relegation dogfight, deep in the mire of a dogfight. Um, let me ask you first off, before I before I get your perspective on this, a little quick trivia question for you, Zach. Who was the last current England international to sign for Newcastle? Cur- so current... At the time of signing... Current- Okay, regular, okay. A, a regular in the England setup. Andres Townsend? No, it was Michael Owen him? in 2005. Ooh. Yeah, I guess Townsend was in the ago. English squad, but he wasn't a regular by any means. Um, yep. Yeah, that's wild. That's crazy. 17 so years ago, you said? 17 years apart, exactly. Yeah, so just put that in perspective. Huge signing for, for Newcastle. This is a player that I think can come in and while he's not the the goal scorer, while he's not going to be the person that necessarily um, solves that problem for us on the pitch with Callum Wilson out for, for two months, this is somebody that can come in, um, be an older head in the locker room, somebody who has a lot of experience in really important games and just add a little bit of stability and also a huge crossing ability to Newcastle's mm-hmm. game. I'm really excited for Trippier. Um, although it was a disappointing game, against Cambridge with us obviously getting knocked out of the FA Cup. I thought Trippier was one of the bright spots from that game itself. Definitely. Yeah. As you said, crossing ability, experience at the highest level, leadership, which I I think is something that we've been missing at Newcastle for a while. I don't think uh, Jamal Lascelles has been the kind of, you know, club leader that we had hoped, especially with all those dust-ups that have been reported happening in training. So we, I think we needed a, a seasoned veteran of the Premier League uh, to be brought in, and Trippier is exactly that, um, which kind of segues us ne- nicely into um, the person that we had talked about quite a bit earlier in the pod, which is Chris Wood, the Burnley striker. Uh, again, uh, it appears that a £20 million uh, transfer is in the process of getting finalized to bring him from Burnley all the way to Newcastle United. Um, another kind of interesting aspect of this uh, that I'd love to hear your opinion on, Adam, uh, uh, is it was initially reported that there was a release clause discovered in uh, Wood's contract. And interestingly enough, Trippier and Wood have the same agent. So there might have been something at play there. Uh, it was then actually reported that there is no release clause in Chris Wood's Burnley contract and that 
the chairman of uh, Burnley actually agreed to this deal. The Newcastle put in an offer and he sold directly to a uh, relegation uh, struggler as well. So um, I'll ask you this, like, what was your immediate reaction? Uh, and then I guess we'll, we'll kind of then go to talking about what the reaction might be on the Burnley side. Yeah, my, my immediate reaction on this one, we've talked about Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes in the past before, is these are two seasoned veterans in the Premier League. Um, you're not going to get 25 goals from them on a on an annual basis, but they are usually pretty good for double digits in a season, which is it's not something that we've had very consistently over the course of the last year. I think Callum Wilson last year having um, or surpassing that mark was one of the rare times that we've done it in recent years. So my immediate reaction was this isn't a transfer. This is going to set the world alight, right? This isn't something that is going to necessarily excite the fan base. But I think it's a very smart and calculated move in that I think it brings us somebody who's a target man. I think one of the problems that we've had is we've been playing wingers up top. We've been playing Joe Linton. We've been playing Alan St. Maximin. We've been playing Mickey Almiron. All, all at some point have started up top, um, either alongside Wilson or in a lone striker role. And they're just not that sort of kind of target man. They don't have that aerial presence, that threat, that ability to hold the ball up. They're the creative players. They're the people who should be, you know, um, feeding off of a target man. Chris Wood is the definition of a target man. He's somebody who's going to be really strong in the air, who'll be able to hold up play a la Alan Shearer uh, from many, many years back. Uh, and I think he's somebody that can come in and make an immediate impact for us. If not with from a goal-scoring threat standpoint, but by then bringing other players into the game who could potentially um, do the business for us there. I think there's just been too much pressure on the ASMs of the world to deliver with Wilson being out. And I think this should open up a new lease of life for those types of players. Definitely. Yeah. I think the style of play that Chris Wood will, uh, will, I guess be, be stepping into at Newcastle is I think that's the most interesting thing to keep an eye on for me because at, at Burnley it's, it's so clear what they're going to do every time that they get possession. It's it's four four two. It's long ball football. It's it's nineteen eighties English football uh, from Burnley, and it's play it up to the target man, get people into play, and either get across into the box back to that target man, or you know just get an overlapping midfielder or something of that sort of Dwight McNeil, if you will, to to kind of get on the end of a ball. Whereas Newcastle does not have that style at all. We haven't played uh, a. a 442 in quite a long time um and we we don't have nearly the same personnel that burnley does in terms of where the talents lie um so initially when i when i think about this that the one concern i have is uh the fact that as you mentioned a lot of our players kind of base their game off creativity and and speed uh saint maximin almiron despite the fact that he's been uh, fairly inconsequential the the second half of the year and even uh, players like, you know, I'd say Sean Longstaff isn't known for speed by any means, but but can kind of make runs forward. Uh, you do have Ryan Frazier doing a, a similar role at times. So um, I, I, I think it'll be really interesting in how we want to go about doing this uh, with, are we going to be playing long balls and then having St. Maximin maybe even play kind of off the shoulder of the striker? Or is it going to be a lot more crossing football, which is something that Newcastle has had a huge issue with in recent years. Um, and that's where the combination of Trippier and 
Wood does make a lot of sense. Trippier is one of the best uh, crossers of the ball in world football. And so you, you wonder how uh, how Eddie Howe is going to kind of try to somewhat change the style because you, you'd assume it has to happen in some sort of way with how different Wood is from, from Callum Wilson. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually quite excited to see the two of them play together uh, when that time comes. Uh, it's obviously going to be several months from now with the Wilson injury, but I think the two of them would complement each other very well in attacking front line. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. I think that I think that Callum Wilson does not operate very effectively as a sole striker. I I think Callum Wilson's a great player, but yeah, I I don't think you know he he's kind of one of those players that is 60% of a lot of different attributes, but isn't, you know, you wouldn't put him directly in one box. You wouldn't say he's a physically dominant presence. You wouldn't say he's a speedster. You maybe would say he's a bit more of a poacher. Whereas, like you said, you know exactly what you're getting with Wood and you can play off him a lot easier because of that. Yeah, exactly. So I think in, in summary, from a Chris Wood standpoint, it's not the most exciting transfer that you'll see. Um, from from Newcastle, but it's a very sensible transfer. I think addressing a couple of issues that we have with a proven Premier League goal scorer. Absolutely, and so to to kind of transition that a bit to the team that he is leaving, and again a, a fellow uh, relegation battler uh, alongside us, uh, Burnley sitting at the same amount of points as Newcastle, eleven points. Uh, that being said, Burnley on uh, seventeen matches, whereas Newcastle has played nineteen. Um, I think this is going to be massive for them. And every, everything that you're reading, all the reactions you're seeing from you know, Burnley fans, Burnley beat writers that, that I follow, uh, say that this, is, this cannot be understated how big of a loss this would be uh, for, for Burnley. So to kind of give you a couple of statistics before digging into the actual effect on the team, uh, Chris Wood is one of only two players alongside Jack Cork to have appeared in all 21 of Burnley's uh, league and cup matches this season. So an ever-present uh, member of that team sheet. He only has three goals in 17 Premier League matches this year, so nothing terribly impressive. That being said, Burnley is not a team that scores a, a ton of goals, so only Jay Rodriguez and Maxwell Cornett have more goals than Woods three. Uh, and Another part of this, in my mind, Adam, that I'd love to hear your opinion on is how do you think Sean Deitch is reacting right now? Uh, like, how do you think he feels having had, you know, one of his one of his mainstays in this team, uh, a player who, as you and I were both talking about today, is one of only six players in the Premier League to have scored at least 10 goals in each of the last four seasons. How do you feel? How do you think he must feel about losing uh, Chris Wood to quite literally the worst possible team that could take him right now. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I, I I would imagine he's pretty irked about this. I've, I've read reports about him being quote-unquote furious that this was allowed to happen. Um, now, this is a Burnley team, if you think about it. Um, I think about a year and a half ago, we were talking about them being bought out and that we might potentially see investment. That investment hasn't come from Burnley. You've seen people like Maxwell Cornet come in from Leon. Leon, a team that I I follow pretty religiously. Cornet's a great player. He's gonna they're gonna be just fine in terms of the creative side of things. What they're not gonna be fine with is necessarily they're losing that target man, and I think that's integral to the way that Burnley plays. And finding another one with potentially three weeks left in the in the um, January transfer window is gonna be really tough 
for Burnley to do, especially one that has a proven goal scoring record in the Premier League like Chris Wood does. So I think this potentially could be a very shrewd bit of business by Newcastle for all the reasons we mentioned about why he'd be important to the team, but also because it potentially weakens a relegation rival. Um, and it might not just be from a on pitch standpoint, it might also be off pitch in terms of the mental damage that it could do to the team um, and the confidence that it will shake in them. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, Burnley, uh, the the second lowest points total in the last five matches of any team in the Premier League, uh, just behind Watford, uh, who have not gotten a point in their last five matches. So it's already a tough time for Burnley. And, uh, you know, we, we say we say every year that they're, they're one of those teams who just somehow kind of ekes their way out of a relegation scrap, um, will seemingly be an 18th, you know, three quarters of the season and ended 12th every single year but um a lot of writing is now on the wall for you know can can burnley can burnley kind of keep that going or is this going to be the final nail in the coffin for them yep i mean part of me hopes that it will be because that would probably mean that newcastle is surviving if, <laughs> if that's the case maybe we both go down um but watford are certainly catchable and i think you know the this weekend is going to be a fascinating one with watford coming to st james's park and potentially chris wood making his debut in that game in a must-win game for the team that could potentially leap us out of the bottom three. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that will be an interesting one, especially with Watford uh, not having Ismail Lassar, uh, one of their, as we said in our last episode, one of the best players on that club. So, yeah, that's going to be the, the match of the season for Newcastle so far, without a doubt. Yep, they're all cup finals from this point on. So, um, three points, mm -hmm. please. That'd be great. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, okay, um, Adam, any other big talking points that have come to mind for you in this uh, in this iteration of our, our podcast? Yeah, just wrapping on the transfer side of things, um, something came up with Ralph Hassenhudel, um this week. He's been really since the Southampton-Newcastle game was called off for a mixture of COVID and injuries on the Newcastle side. Ralph Hassenhudel has been very vocal about his displeasure about how that all played out. And he actually made um, he made a statement this week saying that he thought that players that were signed in the January transfer window should be ineligible for any rearranged fixtures from before the transfer window opened. Very clear that he's referencing Newcastle in that and the heavy investment. And then all of a sudden, Southampton get purchased and bought out for a hundred million British pounds. So you wouldn't be shocked to see Southampton making some investment in this January transfer window as well. I I ask you this, what what is your take on Hassan Hoodle's statement around ineligibility of transfers from January for the rearranged fixtures? Yeah, I mean I think it's all smoke, right? Like it as you said, it's clearly tied to uh Newcastle and other teams around Southampton in the table, uh, gaining, you know, gaining in strength in, in January. But no, I, I think that there's almost no legitimacy to a statement like that. Even in non-COVID years, matches get postponed uh, and rescheduled all the time because of cup ties, because, you know, of I, I guess cup ties is really the, the main other uh, kind of catalyst for that. But no, I, I, I think it's a bit of a ridiculous statement um, and one that I'd don't think we'll we'll catch any fire in terms of if it will actually be implemented. 
Yeah, and I think you know, the other piece of this that I thought was quite interesting is Southampton have taken eight points from their last 12. They sit pretty in 11th in the league on 24 points. They're 13 points clear of the relegation zone. Why does he care so much? Uh, that's an interesting question. I don't know. He feels he feels outdone by Jurgen Klopp taking all of the uh, controversial statements in in the Premier League. I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I I guess so. I mean, before but that the statement was made um, earlier this week. Before they only were 21 points, but still 10 points clear at the relegation zone. To me, it just feels like a little bit of sour grapes. Like he wishes that he could have a little bit more investment. Remains to be seen whether the new ownership group at Southampton has the capital to make that happen for Hassan Hoodle. Um, but he, he lost a little bit of credibility for me and a little bit of face for me over the course of the past few weeks, the way he's reacted to this. Seems a little bit of sour grapes there. Yeah, again, it's the same way that a lot of people are feeling about Jurgen Klopp coming out and, and saying that, uh, you know, players players who uh, contracting COVID, you know, everything should be moved around for, for Liverpool's sake. They shouldn't have to play their cup matches. They shouldn't have to play... Uh, arsenal ever again uh so yeah i think that there 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 is a lot of kind of attention grabbing headlines that are coming from coaches and this is just the latest but you're right the question of like why he came out and said that was is an interesting one i'm not really sure what the motivation was for that agreed well well i'm sure we'll hear more from him in the coming weeks he certainly hasn't been shy about making his feelings known over the past few weeks so all right zach um last talking point for you what do you got for me sir yeah, so taking it away from England and actually taking it away from Europe as a whole, uh, as we record, match day one for the African Cup of Nations is uh, all almost concluded. There are three matches left uh, in the final two groups that will be taking place uh, on the day that we uh, release this episode. So yeah, just wanted to give you kind of a, a quick recap as to what went on um, in the first match day of AFCON. Uh, I've had the pleasure of watching quite a lot of matches. Uh, the matches are um, streamed on BN Sports, which I, I only recently realized I can actually access um, on my television. So as somebody working from home, uh, the days that I don't have a ton of meetings, I, I'll just toss an AFCON match on in the background uh, and, and let it run. And it's been really interesting far, so far, Adam. Uh, there has been a bit of, I, I would say, a bit of surprise from me uh, first of all, at kind of how low scoring all these matches have been. I, I wish that I was um, allocating my my betting funds to, to hitting the under on every single AFCON match that took place, as only one of the nine matches that have so far been played uh, had more than one goal scored in that match. Uh, and it was actually the first match of the tournament, Host Nation Cameroon uh, getting a 2-1 win over Burkina Faso. And it, since then, every match either ending 1-0 or 0-0. So it's been really, you know, uh, I, I'd say still entertaining, but not from this kind of free-scoring uh, goal sense. Uh, and in particular, you know, there, there are a number of favorites for this tournament. It is kind of open looking at AFCON as to who uh, is predicted to win. Um, and uh, it's certainly a mixed bag of results. You have wins for Cameroon, as I mentioned, Senegal, who's my pick to win the tournament this year, uh, Morocco and Nigeria all getting wins. A scoreless draw for Algeria, so the, the team that is going in to try to defend their crown from the 2019 iteration. 
And then Egypt getting a loss uh, in playing Nigeria today. Nigeria winning on a really brilliant goal by Kalechi Iheanacho, the Leicester City man. So uh, it's it's been interesting to see not a lot of goals scored and also not a lot of firepower coming from some of these teams, again, namely Senegal. Uh, and uh, I'd say Algeria is probably the, the second most attacking potent team in the tournament, um, not really putting up those numbers so far. I, I still think that Senegal is going to win the tournament, and I hope they will because I do have money placed on them to win the tournament. Uh, they got a 1-0 win on a 97th-minute Sadio Mane penalty to beat Zimbabwe, uh, and they did this without Edward Mendy, their obvious number one keeper, as well as Koulibaly, uh, their starting center back. So Senegal will only get better with both of those guys coming back from COVID uh, in their Friday fixture. And I am interested to see, you know, if we can see a bit more entertainment and a few more goals in match day two. Yeah, um, I appreciate the recap on that. I did see um, the Iha Nacho goal that you were talking about earlier on. It was quite the strike. Beautiful half volley on his left foot from the edge of the area, rising into the top right-hand corner. So a goal to grace any game. Um, the other thing that I noticed and saw on social media today was um, BN Sports actually made a, a goof earlier on today, and they put the formation for Egypt as a 5-5-0. Yeah, I saw that. That was amazing. <laughs> and, of course, they did not line up in a 5-5-0. They lined up with a 5-4-1. Uh, but, yeah, 5-5-0 formation for Egypt in their opening match against Nigeria yeah. today. That was the takeaway for me. Yeah, that, that I was I was hoping that game would really would would be an exciting one, and it was a good watch. But Egypt was completely dominated by Nigeria. I think if you're if you're an Egyptian fan, you have to be really worried about that match. Nigeria again, another powerhouse in this tournament, but Egypt had you know they had one chance through actually through uh, Mohamed Salah. Uh, if if you'll believe that uh, towards the end of the match, he he was kind of wrong-footed and and wasn't able to get a powerful shot off when he was one-on-one with the keeper but besides that they they offered almost nothing in this game this was a a comfortable one nil victory for nigeria so again yeah two teams advance from the uh four uh team groups and then the uh top four third place teams also advance as well so similar format to to euros similar format to the world cup every match matters only three matches per team in the group stages. And again, those second rounds of matches begin in the next two days. Uh, but yeah, really interested to see what happens. And again, we all should be rooting for Senegal because they are the ones who will make me money. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, on the Mo Salah point, um, just to kind of wrap there, I, I thought about it today. It's got to be a very interesting transition from him going to from a powerhouse in the Premier League with just superstars all around him to playing it on a very modest Egyptian side and being, being of course the star player there as he, he kind of similarly is at, at Liverpool, but just having that lack of quality around him and the weight of expectations on his shoulders. You think about the, the Lionel Messi's of the world, like Messi is going to look back, I think his international career and be a little bit disappointed with what Argentina, Argentina accomplished. I don't think there's that weight of expectation on the shoulders of Mohamed Salah from an Egypt standpoint, because I just don't think he has the the strength of player around him to do that. Do you think there's an element of frustration on Salah's part that he has to really hold so much down for his international team as opposed to his club team? Yeah, I mean, I 
I think that's a brilliant question. I, I think there must be, right? Because as you said, like imagine <laughs> imagine playing every single day in training and in matches with one of the most exhilarating and coherent attacking units probably world football has ever seen. Uh, and then going from that to uh, having to not only play in a team with significantly less quality, but play a very different role. Uh, I watched the entirety of that Egypt-Nigeria match today, and Salah was playing in the center of the park a, a large majority of that uh, the game, especially in the second half when Egypt was was chasing the game. So Salah, obviously for Liverpool, always playing on the right wing, having to kind of occupy that 10-9 role for Egypt just because the ball is typically in the middle of the park. So if, if, you're, if you're just trying to get him involved as, in as much play as possible, you're going to put him in the center. And it, yeah, it must be wild and credit to him as a world-class footballer to be able to adjust and adjust your game, adjust the way that you, uh, you know, deal with your teammates because it's, it's night and day. There are no similarities between uh, club and country for, for Mo. Yep. Uh, great points. Cool. Well, I'll look forward to hearing more about the African Cup of Nations as time progresses here, Zach. Keep it, keep us posted. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun watch. Again, all pretty much all the matches on BN Sports, which is on most TV packages nowadays. I have I have YouTube TV, so that is how I am watching it. But uh, yes, should be should be good to to stay locked into. Awesome. We'll look forward to it. All right. Before we go to our commercial break here, let me go ahead and give you your first clue for EPL trivia. Uh, again, a reminder, listeners, the question was, name the only Premier League team to have amassed 100 red cards since the Premier League began in 1992. Your first clue, Zach. The first of these 100 red cards was in the 1992-1993 season for a player called Nigel Winterburn. <laughs> that is such an English name. My God, Nigel Winterburn. All right, as you predicted, that does not really lead, <laughs> really lead me to the answer. So my Winterburn, my Winterburn knowledge is not what it should be. So I'm, I'm looking forward to your second and final clue, which hopefully will help me out a little bit. Sounds good. Well, that will be coming here towards the end of the pod, and we'll be right back after a word from these sponsors. Right, we are back with the second half of the False Nines, episode 81, Nine Squared. That's right. That next, next episode will be 82, the year of my birthday. Ooh. And then the episode after that, 83. We all know what that means. And with that, we will get into our, uh, our armchair pundits for the second half of the podcast. Adam, would you like to go first or second? in today's episode i will go first because i've been looking forward to this one um it's a very it's a very simple one wolves will finish above leicester in the premier league this season oh yeah my wolves prediction is really not looking good nowadays they have well, been they've been on it mostly i just wanted to rub salt in the wounds here from your awful wolves call from from several podcasts ago terrible um, call Yep. So um, that that was part part of this, and I knew that doing that at the expense of Leicester would would cut really deep for you, with you being a closet Leicester fan. Um, but yeah. I will try and back this up. Second best defensive record in the Premier League, fourteen goals conceded on the season, only bettered by Manchester City with thirteen. Um, just from watching recently, 
Um, Jose Sa in goal for Wolves has been phenomenal. He's kept them in games at times. I thought um, they, they've had some great performances. They went to Manchester United and won at Manchester United. They are struggling in front of goal, but I do think Raul Jimenez is the sort of striker that is going to come good at some point. This stat mm-hmm. should concern you as a Leicester fan, Zach. Leicester has conceded more than double the amount of goals that Wolves have on the season so far. I mentioned Wolves with 14 goals conceded, Leicester with 33 so far this season. Um, so I think just Leicester are pretty inconsistent in the games that they are playing. And I think Wolves always keep games tight. There hasn't been a blowout for them so far this season. Um, and I just think that consistency will mean that Wolves will finish slightly above Leicester in the league, whatever placement that that ends up being. I think Wolves will be higher in the league than Leicester. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. The temperamentality of Leicester does not does not kind of uh, it doesn't make you think that they're going to to right the ship in any particular way. As does you know the significant injuries that they've suffered throughout their teams. I think uh, I I think Noah mentioned this. Uh, my roommate Noah when he came on a few episodes ago, Wesley Fafana getting injured at the beginning of the year can't like has kind of gone under the radar of how badly that hurt Leicester. Uh, Fafana is on his day has shown glimpses of being a, a top, top defender in the Premier League. But yeah, it, it, just like Everton, um, Leicester is just kind of waiting for the season to end. Uh, obviously, Everton is in a bit more of a precarious spot, whereas Leicester is sitting comfortably and disappointingly, but comfortably in 10th. So uh, I think that everything you said makes a ton of sense. I, I wonder how many, I wonder how few goals Wolves will end this season with. I, I'm, I'm curious. I, I don't know if we, this is a bit too complicated of a question to look up while we're doing the pod, but I wonder that the lowest tally of goals that a team who finished in the top half of the Premier League have ever gotten in a single season. Because you'd have to think the Wolves with with 14 goals through 19 matches sitting in eighth place, they're probably on track to to maybe get that record. Yeah, that's a phenomenal stat right now. I mean, even if they were man- able to manage one goal per game conceded or less that's phenomenal 38 goals or less would be incredible let me check this out right now so lowest goals conceded in premier league season um all right um i have the answer for you this is phenomenal by the way would not surprise you to know that it was Jose Mourinho side. <laughs> mm-hmm. Chelsea, Chelsea, 2004-2005, 15 goals for the entire season conceded. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, and they, they probably won the title that year. But, yeah, I mean, I wonder if like if any team ending in the top half who, like, yeah, what, I guess that answered my question. But um, it is, yeah, it's an impressive year for, for Wolves, without a doubt, especially – not being managed by Jose Mourinho, but another Portuguese man. So maybe it's maybe it's maybe it's in the food in Portugal. The the vino verde is what creates the compact defenses. Solid, solid defensively. Well, I appreciate your humility there, sir, um, and being able to eat your words in humble pies, so somewhat, so to speak. Um, what do you have for mm-hmm. me on the armchair pundits front this week? Yeah, another fairly simple one, and and. Obviously, we've, we've talked a lot about him today, but I think Chris Wood will be Newcastle's leading scorer the second half of the Premier League season. Um, so obviously, Callum Wilson being out for probably the next two months or so uh, gives a lot of reason for why our only 
uh, healthy striker not named Dwight Gale will be our leading scorer. But as we talked about before, I, I think there are a lot of things about this Newcastle team that can contribute to a, a solid production from Wood, despite the slow start that he has had to the year. I think that you know we we now have a few more tools in place to becoming a, a much more cross-friendly uh, team, namely Kieran Trippier delivering balls in from the right. Uh, John Joe Shelby has been in a really nice run of form as of recently. Obviously, he he's playing in the center of the park, but you're you're you often see him drift wide and um, in free kicks. It'll be interesting, obviously, him or Trippier taking free kicks. Uh, but either one of them going to put a good delivery into the box. And I, I think that Newcastle they they have the players to to kind of unlock Chris Wood, uh, whether it's Saint Maximin making a dizzying run and then just playing the ball across the middle. Uh, but namely, like Wood is a smart striker. You know, it's not by accident uh, or by kind of luck that you get to uh, double-digit goals four seasons in a row. He he's great in in and around the penalty area. And I think that uh, with the the increases that Newcastle's made to our team so far in January and the hopeful additional increases uh, and additions that we continue to make, we'll we'll be playing a bit more of a, a attacking style football, and that obviously suits the man up top. Yeah, I like that prediction. Let me ask you this. Um, Wilson on six goals, ASM on four. Wilson out for the next two months with an injury. Is there a chance that Chris Wood comes in and ends the season as not only the second half of the season top scorer, but the overall top scorer for Newcastle? I was thinking about that. So would you count Chris Wood's three goals for Burnley? Or is he starting at zero in that question? I would say he starts at zero in terms of Newcastle goal scorers. He'd, in order to be Newcastle's top scorer, he would have to. Yeah, I, mm, a six-goal handicap is, is pretty significant. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if he, you never know, right? If, if he bags, let's say two against Watford, that would, that would be the dream, first of all. But uh, if you know, if if he's able to get a, a brace or two in the next two months, um, there's no reason why he wouldn't be able to to kind of reach that mark. Uh, it, it'll be somewhat dependent on what happens when Wilson comes back, if Chris Wood maintains a place in the side or if he just becomes our backup striker. Uh, but yeah, I think that there's there's every reason to, to guess that he will be the, the team's leading scorer come end of the season. I think that would make both of us very, very happy. Indeed it would. Indeed it would. Chris Wood. <laughs> Making something, there's something there. Uh, <laughs> getting getting a lot of love on the podcast today. I like that. Yeah, I mean, big big signing. I was really happy when I when I saw that go through today. Um, so yeah, Newcastle Reddit is a flame at the moment. Uh, so it's it's been it's been a good day. It's been a good day to be a Newcastle United supporter. Uh, all right, ten and ninety, Adam, wrapping it up. A shorter one today. We're we're both tired men. Do you want to go first or second in our trivia round? Um, I'll go second on this one. Why don't you take it away? Okay. Very good. Very good. So I'm going to give you some hypotheticals today. I'm, I'm kind of backing away from, from the stats. I know last time I did a lot of AFCON uh, statistics. So we'll, we'll, we'll get a bit more creative with, uh, with this round of questioning. Uh, and it comes from an article that I actually saw. I, I think it was in The Guardian. I'm pretty certain it was in The Guardian. Uh, or it was in the athletic, one of those two publications. But anyway, they were talking about 
Uh, going through every team currently in the Premier League, uh, they ranked or, or decided on the all-time best African player for that respective club um, in their time in the Premier League. So without telling you the players that were uh, chosen, I, I just want to hear your opinion. You are a lifelong Premier League fan, somebody who's been following the league for almost the entirety of its existence. Uh, so mm -hmm. to kind of test your historical Premier League knowledge, uh, I'll just kind of shout out a few clubs and you will give me, uh, in your opinion, your top African player and, and maybe a little reason why. Sure, let's do it. Okay, let's start with Chelsea. Um, the player that immediately comes to mind for Chelsea is Didier Drogba. Um, mm -hmm. A player that um, one of my first memories of was eliminating Newcastle from the UEFA Cup with Marseille and then making a big money signing um, move over to, to Chelsea. He's a player that I think, you know, he, he's broken a lot of records there at Stamford Bridge and uh, remains to this day, I think, one of the best strikers that they've ever had in the Premier League. Didier Drogba for me. Yeah, I like that. I, I'd say that honorable mentions um, might go to Solomon Kalou. Solomon mm. Kalou was a really good striker for for Chelsea. Who? Where? Where is Solomon Kalou from exactly? I'm, trying to, I'm not trying sure. To remember this one. Well, while you're looking that one up, another player that jumped into my mind was John Obi Mikel. Um, I thought John Obi Mikel. Yep. Cracking player for Chelsea back in the day too. Yeah, so uh, uh, Kalu is Ivorian, John Obi Mikel, Nigerian. So yeah, there there have been a number of really, really top African players who have played for the Blues. The the one other person that, you know, has played for Chelsea but didn't do his best playing for Chelsea, uh, Samuel Eto'o, often ranked as the best African player of all time. But again, like, he yeah. he made his name for Barcelona. He didn't make his name for, for Chelsea. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think that, you know, he, he did okay for, for Chelsea, but I think obviously he'll be remembered for his time at Barcelona. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay, next team, Newcastle United. Hmm. The player that immediately springs to mind um, is Obafemi Martins. Um, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's me showing my age a little bit. I think you could make a case Dude. for Papi Cisse, Dembaba um, could make a case for both of those players. Um, and even <laughs> an, an outside chant for, or shout for, um, am I blanking on his name now? Uh, Mo Diame, um, another cracking player for Newcastle <laughs> on his day. Uh, but I don't think he holds a, holds a candle to, to Obafemi Martins. And the celebration for Martins when he scored was always a thing of beauty as well. Obafemi Martins was my first favorite player for Newcastle because Obafemi Martin's career for Newcastle kind of ended right when I was getting into the team in like 2008 or so. Um, yeah. Yep. So I, I loved Obafemi Martin's uh, Nigerian international, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and yeah, I see San Ba, the, the Senegalese striking, uh, striking partners, a big one, the, the athletic named uh, one player that, uh, you, you may have forgotten there as their top Newcastle African player of all time, Chuck Tiote. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Phenomenal player. Um, God rest his soul. Everybody loved Tiote. Always remembered for that cracking goal in the 4-4 draw against Arsenal. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A, a, a sentimental 
favorite uh, as much as you know the impact that he had on the pitch. I mean, talk about temperamentality. Teote was either the best or the worst center defensive mid in the league every single game he played, and that's something I miss about him. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All yeah. right, who next? Uh, okay, uh, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about Liverpool's best African player of all time. <laughs> um, that's tough. There are a lot of good ones. Um, I mean, the ones that obviously are top of mind right now are Mosala and Sadio Mane. Um, I, I would probably go with Mosala. I think just from a mm-hmm. pure goal scoring standpoint, um, being or having amassed the most goals in Premier League history in a 38 game season, I think kind of probably just edges it there for him. But Sadio Mane is a, a wonderful human being um, and a great player. Um, I think that, you know, to, to your point, I think that he's one of the reasons um, that his, it's, uh, he's Senegal, right? He picked the place for Sadio Mane, yes. Yeah, so I, I think he's one of the reasons why they, they'll have a good chance and potentially earn you some money this season. Uh, certainly have a better chance, I think, than, than Salah's Egypt does. But uh, most Salah for me, I think. Yeah, yeah, I I like that shout as well. Okay, uh, a club that, that has been known for, for having quite a lot of African stars, Arsenal. I'm really curious to see who you, who you go for with Arsenal. Hmm. This one's tough. Like to your to your point, they have a a large history of this. I probably Arsenal, would Arsenal Arsenal, and why is the answer Marouane Shamak? <laughs> <laughs> um, Pierre Emerick Aubameyang is the um, is the one that is jumping into my head, and I'm okay. trying to cast cast my memory back further to who I think may be more influential over time for, for them. So the the top choice by The Athletic was a player that was before my time that I actually haven't heard of uh, previously. Um, and that man is Nigerian international Nwanko Kanu. Michael Kanu, yeah, he played for Portsmouth as well back in the day. Um, Kanu was a great player. I don't think he was as influential to Arsenal per se as Aubameyang mm-hmm. has been over the course of the last few years. It's uh, Nwankwo Kanu um, was how, how you pronounce his, his, okay. yeah, his first name. Um, great player. Um, very, very different kind of like physique um than you than you've ever seen he's, he's a very unique kind of playing style uh, to anyone that i've ever really seen play in the premier league before kind of like almost like the peter crouch of african players in a lot of ways yep um that's kind of that's, that's the, what I how i remember how i remember him you know yeah yeah that that is what i read about him after after hearing his name was that he was like what six foot five center defensive mid or, or something crazy like that no, he was an out-and-out striker. Um, yeah, he, right, he, he sorry, was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was a tall, kind of stringy player, um, very strong on the ball considering he did he wasn't more muscular. He's no, no Adama Traore, right? Um, but very muscular, mm-hmm. or not a muscular player, very kind of tall and lanky, but very good with his feet as well. I, I really think about Peter Crouch a lot when I think about Kanye. Okay. All right. Uh, and I think... 
Is that, yeah, that's four. Uh, the final team that I want to hear your opinion on is Manchester City. Um, I think Riyad Mahrez pops into my head. Um, Mahrez okay. is probably going to be one of the players who, um, you know, made his name at a different club and then came in to City, but he's been very influential for them in previous years. I'm trying to think who else would make an argument for there. No, I'm gonna stick with I'm gonna stick with Mars. Who Mara's was the answer? Over, I'm, I'm curious to Mars over uh, over uh, Yaya Torre. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, Torre was was a big player for them. Yeah, Torre or uh, I saw George Weah thrown around for that as well. Um, mm. a, a winner of the Ballon d'Or. Yeah, I mean. Not not at his best per se when he was at Manchester City. Certainly more for AC Milan there. Um, but yeah, um, I don't know. I'm thinking more recent. It's hard to cast my mind too far back with Manchester City. But yeah, yeah, Torre is obviously a great shout too. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Torre with with Colo finishing a a distant second uh, to yeah. to his brother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, Torre. I think uh, definitely the more talented of the two. Yeah. Without a doubt. All right, great. Thank you for for uh, humoring me and and having to really dive deep in your in your knowledge of historical African players. I know you weren't you hadn't prepped for that one, so appreciate you going for it. Yeah, um, happy that I was able to at least come up with uh, one good candidate for each of them. So, all right, um, for your ten and ninety, sir, um, I do have a theme for you. It's the good. top ten January transfers to and from the Premier League in history. Okay. Cool. So a list of incoming and outgoing January transfers for the Premier League and the top 10 in terms of the transfer fee that they commanded. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask what Yeah, what was yep. the metric for that. So sounds good. Yep. So, okay, right off the bat, who is the most expensive incoming Premier League January transfer of all time? Oh, oh January. Sorry. Missed that you said January transfer, although that makes total sense. Um, most expensive incoming January transfer of all time. I'll give you a clue. Yeah, please you've, do. You've already mentioned his name in the podcast today. Um, I mentioned him in the last few minutes. Is he an African player? Um, no, he is not. Hmm. Who did I talk about earlier? Chris Wood. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, ooh, man, I do not know. Right, okay, what I'll team give, did he go to? I'll give you the club that I was going to say. Liverpool. January Liverpool. Allison? Nope. Virgil van Dijk. Um, 76.2 million in the January 2018 window, um, the second highest player in terms of transfer fee on this list. Wow. Wow. Yep. Okay. So within the Premier League, but or no, no, because yep. he went Southampton, or yeah, he went Celtic, Southampton, Liverpool. Correct. And it, and it could be a foreign team to Liverpool or Liverpool to a foreign team. These are two or from the Premier League. 
uh, transfers. Okay, but didn't he go from Southampton to Liverpool? He did. He did. I'm just saying hypothetically okay. for some of the other questions that we have coming up. Gotcha. Um, yep, there could there, okay. there could be a, a foreign team in, involved from outside the Premier League. Gotcha. All right. Okay. Question, question two. Um, who is the most expensive outgoing Premier League January transfer? This person tops the list of transfer fees commanded in January transfer window history. Mm. Also been mentioned on the pod today. Was Coutinho sold? Coutinho sold in January. Yeah, Coutinho is the answer. Yeah, one hundred and twenty-one point five million British pounds Crazy. from Liverpool to Barcelona, also in two thousand eighteen. Wow, that's wild. Yeah. Yep. Who is question three? The only Manchester City incoming transfer on this list surprised me somewhat, given their yeah. um, obvious capital that they have. This person is third on the list in terms of transfer fees commanded and is the only okay. incoming Premier League transfer for Manchester City on this top 10 list. Um, Adebayor? Uh, incorrect. It's Imeric Laporte from oh. At- Atletico okay. Bilbao for 58.5 yeah. million, funnily enough. Also in 2018. <laughs> Seeing a trend here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Question number four. Which other player from the top 10 list also signed for his new club in 2018 from Borussia <laughs> Dortmund? Pierre Mercabomiang. Correct. Uh, to Arsenal. 2018 for 57.4 million. He was fifth on the list. Question number okay. five. How many of the top 10 list is made up by incoming Chelsea transfers? <laughs> um, have we named any yet? We have not. But yeah, I was going to say um, incoming Chelsea players. Oh, well, uh, the three of the top 10. It's two, and bonus points. Then I'll give you. I'll give you a pass if you can name who the top two Chelsea players incoming were. One was in fourth spot for fifty-seven point six million. That happened in two thousand nineteen, and one is in ninth spot, fifty-two point seven million in two thousand and eleven. Two thousand nineteen, two thousand eleven. Would you like a further clue? Um, sure. The 2011 one was signed from Liverpool to Chelsea. The 2019 one okay. is a fellow countryman of yours. I was going to say, I, I, I knew, yeah, I knew that Pulisic was the 2019 one. Uh, Fernando Torres would be the 2011 one. Correct and correct. Nice job. Yeah, yeah, that was tough. I do not know my my January uh, transfer. I guess I'm I'm so fixated on on Newcastle getting linked and then unlinked with players that I don't pay attention to the rest of the clubs. It's true. I mean, I thought it was quite fascinating just thinking about like some of the natures of transfer fees commanded in what is historically a difficult month to try and bring players in, given you've got to convince them to give up their 
prized assets halfway through a season. Yeah, no, it it is wild. It's wild that it even exists. Um, but yeah, it, it's something that is you you always want to be be able to be part of that that backroom staff hearing how those conversations go. Um, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, it, it, it is it, really fascinating. An interesting last one on that list. Um, the only one that is from this current transfer window was Ferran Torres leaving in tenth position. Mm-hmm from Manchester City to Barcelona. So I thought that was an, an interesting one. That was the only outgoing City transfer. Mm, okay. Well, what a piece of business that was for City. Yep, absolutely. All right. Um, last question for you then, as always, Zach, pronounce this Welsh word for me. It's S-W-M-P-U-S. 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 P-U-S. Yeah. Um, Swampush? Not too bad. It's a Sumpus. Yeah. Sumpus. Does it mean swamp ass? It does not. It means awesome. <laughs> how do you how do you come up with you I mean you know Welsh, so do you just like think of a word and decide that's the one for, for the day? I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, occasionally, I think of words. Sometimes I ask my mom. She gives me good words. And then shout out to okay. my mom. And then sometimes I just look it up. Um, I look up interesting Welsh words and try and, okay. try and find some fun ones for you. I, I often try and find one with find ones without vowels. So that yes, I can I, try and make you say that. I've noticed that. Yeah. Of which um, there are a lot. Do you, do you, when you speak to your mom uh, like on the phone, do you speak in Welsh? Oh God, no, no. My my Welsh okay. is con- conversational at best. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Is your French better than your Welsh? One hundred percent. Yeah, my degree was in French. Okay. So, um, yeah, that's my that's my second language. That makes sense. It's still wild yeah. to think that you grew up for eighteen years in Wales. So absolutely. So crazy. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It was fun times. Um, I miss it, but great opportunities over here, USA, and all that. USA and all that. <laughs> That's a perfect way to, <laughs> to close out the pod. Um, before we sign off, Adam, uh, the final clue in the answer for the trivia. I, I still have no idea, so I hope that I can get a little closer here. All right. Sounds good. Well, reminder on the question, name the only Premier League team to have amassed 100 red cards since the Premier League began. Clue number one. The first of these 100 red cards was for an Englishman called Nigel Winterburn in the 92-93 season. Your second clue, the 100th red card was earned by a Brazilian center back last weekend. Brazilian center back. Brazilian center back, Brazilian center back. Okay. Actually, the weekend before last, sorry to keep, keep you honest there. Gotcha. I'm gonna do a really quick glance at the table. I'm not gonna not gonna hold up time too too it happened heavily. In the, in the in the 2022 calendar year, this occurred. Mm. Chelsea. Uh, no, I'm gonna give you the name of the player, Gabriel. Oh, Arsenal. Nice. I was thinking Arsenal because I know that Arsenal in the 90s was known as a very like physical 
Well, I guess everyone was, but Arsenal in particular was known as a pretty physical team. The hybrid was not a place people wanted to go play. Uh, yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, so just to kind of round out the top three, um, Arsenal with 100, Everton with 99, um, and Newcastle with 90. Um, so we're third oh, in the league, Zach. We're third. Oh, Champions we're League the, red, red yeah, card Champions League red cards. Who, yep. who do you think has the most for Newcastle in Premier League history? This isn't a trivia, but just you, you have a, a deeper knowledge of historical Newcastle than I do. Oh, Lord. If you had to guess. Um, maybe Big Dunk back in the day. Go with Duncan Ferguson. Yeah. Didn't play, for, he... didn't, didn't, didn't play for many seasons there, but I'll, I'll go for Big Dunk. He's a bit of a hothead. Who, Craig yeah, Bellamy, if, if Mitch, Kieran Dyer, Lee Bowyer, all be good shouts. If Mitrovic stayed with Newcastle, he would shatter that record. <laughs> oh, that's a good shout as well. I forgot about Mitrovic. Yeah, he'd be a, yeah. He'd be a, he'd be a good one there. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, those three players. In- interesting statistic on, on Arsenal there and kind of doing that. Since Arteta came in as manager just over two years ago now, um, they've actually gone from having 89 red cards to 100 and Everton in that same time span have gone from 95 to 99. So um, in that two year time span, Arsenal has 11 red cards with the nearest team to them with seven, I think it was Brighton. That's pretty wild. Yeah. Wow. So disciplinary Damn. issues abound at Arsenal. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Keeps up their reputation as the team that everybody hates. Sure does. Sure does. All right, well, um, that's a podcast, Mr. Zach. Um, it is indeed. Yep. Um, hopefully, listeners enjoyed. Um, this was a fun one for us. I'm really excited a couple of weeks from now to tell you all about the other incoming Newcastle transfers that we'll be welcoming to our club. Yeah, we'll probably have Mbappe by then. Um, yep. yep. N'Golo Conte will be um, you know, coming in and you we'll know, have, maybe come, we'll come off the bench for Newcastle. <laughs> We'll have bought, we'll have bought and sold Sven Botman to to a profit in a two week period. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I think I think we'll probably have Tarkowski and Ben Mee. We'll basically be Burnley Junior. We'll have we'll have yeah, all we'll of be Burnley Junior. Dwight McNeil, Maxwell Cornet, all in our starting lineup. All three of the people who have joined Newcastle in the last uh, in the last five months are are Burnley are Burnley exes. Trippier, right. Howe, and Wood have all played or coached for Burnley. That's right. 31 and 30, those incoming uh, players. So getting some experienced heads, which I am very, very happy about. It's exactly what we need right now. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. All right. Well, until the next episode, Adam. Footy.